The gospel for the baptism of our Lord is from the gospel according to Mark, chapter 1, verses 4 through 11, and it's on page 707 of the Pew Bible. In this gospel lesson, Jesus does something unexpected. He does something that, well, for most of us, uh, would seem like a good thing to do. But for Jesus, it kind of seems like something that's beneath him. Please stand as you are able for the gospel. From Mark 1, beginning at verse 4, we read in Jesus' name. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Father, these are your words. Sanctify us in the truth, your word is truth. Amen. You may be seated. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Dear Hans and Sophia, you died. Now you probably have no idea what I'm talking about, and all these other people here who witnessed your baptisms are thinking, well, that's not what I saw. I think I would have noticed something like that. It wasn't the kind of death we usually think of when we use that word. It wasn't a physical death. It was a spiritual death. But that isn't to say that it wasn't a real or literal death. It most certainly was a real death. It was a death and resurrection with and in Jesus Christ. And that kind of death is by far the safest kind. This morning we're going to learn about that death. The text begins with John the Baptist. We were introduced to John during the season of Advent, and now we return to John for the baptism of our Lord. At first, it's just John and a bunch of sinners. John was out in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And that's the key phrase to remember about John's baptizing ministry, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So here's what we learn about baptism from John. It works repentance and the forgiveness of sins. And this was even before Jesus instituted his baptism, which in addition to repentance and the forgiveness of sins, it also grants the Holy Spirit, who brings life to our spirits. So in Christian baptism, we have repentance, the forgiveness of sins, and the gift of the Holy Spirit. That, of course, isn't to diminish John's baptism. Anything that grants forgiveness of sins is a pretty big deal. So people from all over 
the region of Judea, were going out to the wilderness to hear John preach and especially to be baptized by him. Even people from the holy city of Jerusalem were going out. Now this thing about the wilderness and the Jordan River is significant. It reminds us of an event that occurred 1,400 years earlier when the Israelites first entered the promised land. Uh, after wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, they came to the Jordan River. They were right on the verge of coming into the promised land, the land God promised to Abraham to give to them. But there is this river in the way. So God parted the waters of the Jordan River, just like he had done 40 years earlier at the Red Sea, and the Israelites walked across on dry ground. So the Exodus, this 40-year event, was marked by miraculous water crossings, both at the beginning and then again at the end. And this second water crossing miracle, the one at the Jordan River, was their entrance into the Promised Land. So I want you to think about what this means for those Jews who went out into the wilderness to be baptized by John. Now, they didn't go to the Jewish side of the river. The Jordan River was the eastern border of Israel. They could have gotten to the river without leaving Israel just by staying on the west side of it. But they went to the other side. They went out into the wilderness that same wilderness that their ancestors came from, and they approached the river from the foreign side, just like their ancestors did 1,400 years earlier. So do you see what they're doing? They're reenacting the entrance into the promised land. But they didn't cross the Jordan and go back to their homes in Jerusalem. Instead, they were baptized in the Jordan River, and they entered into something else, into something better. Instead of crossing the Jordan, they're baptized into it, and they enter into a new kingdom, the reign and rule of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is the kingdom they had been waiting for. And so we see that the gift of the land 1,400 years earlier was foreshadowing something greater. The land was never really the thing, and it still isn't. The thing God's people were waiting for was Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came to reign over all of heaven and earth. This reenactment of the entrance into the promised land, it was John the Baptist's prophetic symbol that the eternal kingdom was drawing near and was in fact already here in the person of Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God had come in Jesus Christ. And that's why all these people from Jerusalem and Judea are going out to the wilderness and then coming back to the Jordan River and being baptized there, entering into Christ, the promised kingdom. And then notice what else they're doing as they're baptized. They're confessing their sins. John is signaling the arrival of the promised reign of God on this earth, and the people respond by confessing their sins. And this is the natural thing to do when confronted by the presence of God. The natural thing is to say, we poor sinners confess to you that we are by nature sinful and unclean. 
and that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. Now, I suspect for many of you, those words have become rote, just like they have for me. That's what happens when you speak them every Sunday for, well, maybe your entire life. They become rote. But I hope you realize that's not a bad thing. It's actually a good thing. Now, when I say it's good for those words to become rote, I simply mean it's good they are memorized. I don't mean it's good for us to not think about them. I hope you don't just say them without any thought to their meaning. The opposite really should be true. When something is so familiar that it's etched onto the wrinkles of our brain, it gives you, it gives you the opportunity to think more deeply about what they mean. And then when you come to a point in your life when you are confronted with your sin, then those words will be available to you. Or maybe it's when another person discovers you and you are ashamed. Or maybe no one else knows what it is, but you know. And for some reason, you come to the stark realization that God knows too. And you feel ruined before him. We all have those horrifying moments when our guilt suddenly becomes very real to us. Now, our guilt is always the same, whether we realize it or not. But in those moments when our consciences find a voice and just scream at us, then we'll be glad that we have those words memorized by rote in our brains. When we realize we are lost and ruined, there's nothing left to do but simply confess. So this is what those Jews did when John proclaimed to them that the kingdom of God was near and was in fact already here. They confessed their sins and they received forgiveness for their sins through this baptism. So we learn from, from this part of the text that baptism is for sinners. And this actually creates a little bit of a dilemma for us because Jesus was baptized. But baptism is for sinners. So what's going on? This is a general and universal rule that baptism is for sinners. The whole point of being baptized is that it works repentance and the forgiveness of sins. That's why these people were going out to the Jordan River. That's why we bring our children to God in baptism, so that the Holy Spirit might work repentance and the forgiveness of sins. If we had no sin, we would need no repentance, no forgiveness, and no baptism. Baptism is for sinners, and sinners only. So we could call this scene out in the wilderness by the Jordan River, Wild John's Filthy Sinners Baptism Club. Almost everyone is welcome. There's really only one person who's not eligible for membership in this club, and that's Jesus. Why? Because he's not a sinner. It's Wild John's Filthy Sinners Baptism Club, and there's just one requirement for membership, you have to be a sinner. But here comes Jesus, and John tries to stop him. Mark doesn't record this detail, but uh, he doesn't record it because his gospel is shorter, and a lot of the stories in it are shorter. But Matthew spends more time on Jesus' baptism, and he makes a point of this, that John tried to prevent Jesus from being baptized. That's because John knew what he was doing, and he knew that baptism works, for the, works the forgiveness of sins, and he knew that Jesus 
wasn't a sinner. He knew that Jesus was far greater than him, but beyond that, that Jesus is also the sinless Son of God in human flesh, who needs no forgiveness and no repentance. Now those filthy sinners who came to be baptized by John, they were confessing their sins. So I kind of wonder what John thought Jesus was going to confess when he comes up to the water. It turns out someone else made a confession at that baptism, a different kind of confession. And we'll get to that in a moment. Jesus insisted on being baptized, and so he was. It does seem odd, doesn't it, being that he had no sins to confess. But Jesus went there for the opposite reason. He went there not to be forgiven, but to to identify himself with sinners. Jesus actually did this quite often. From his conception in the womb of the Virgin Mary, where he took on the dying flesh of a baby human, to his baptism, to all the meals that he ate with tax collectors and prostitutes and various other kinds of sinners. And finally, to his death between two condemned criminals and his Sabbath rest in the tomb. Every step along the way, from the beginning of his human existence to what seemed like the end, Jesus Christ, the Son of God in human flesh, identified himself with sinners. The muddy waters of the Jordan River were a place for sinners. So we should not be surprised to find Jesus standing there. After all, he came to stand in the place of sinners. More than that, he came to hang in the place of sinners. So we find Jesus in all the places for sinners. We find him being baptized. We find him in the company of sinners. We find him on trial. Now, usually you have to do something bad to end up on trial. Jesus is even convicted and sentenced to death. Death row is a place reserved for the worst sinners. So naturally, Jesus goes there. He hangs on a cross between two legitimate criminals. We even find Jesus in a tomb, the place finally reserved for all sinners. He goes to all the places appointed for sinners so that he can take these sinners to the next place he is going, the resurrection of the dead and the life everlasting in his new creation. That's the purpose of all this. So think of baptism. Think of your baptism, whether you remember it or not. Think of it as this place where we, we drop something off for Jesus and we pick up what he has left for us there. We drop off our sins and Jesus takes them into himself. Now, I don't know if Jesus absorbed all of our sins into his body on the day he was baptized. Scripture doesn't tell us that. We do know this that by the time he was strung up on a cross, he had taken every last sin of the human race into his own body. That much we do know. And at the very least, his baptism indicates that he's going to do this, that he's identifying with sinners. And we also know from our epistle lesson in Romans 6 that baptism amounts to death in Jesus Christ. Paul says, Do you not know 
that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And he goes on, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. In our baptisms, we are most certainly united with Jesus Christ in his death. But it's not only his death. It's also his life. It's his resurrection. It's a new life granted by the Holy Spirit now, and also the promise of a complete and perfect resurrection on the last day. The promise of Scripture is clear. If we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. This is how baptism saves us. It's not a hocus-pocus magic formula. It's not forgiveness just by divine fiat. It's a connection to the death and resurrection of Jesus. All this water does is connect you to Christ. And Christ, he did all the work in his death and resurrection. And that is why this water is a priceless divine treasure. Simply because it connects you to your Savior. Jesus has identified himself with sinners, and so we find him in this place for sinners. And then pay attention to what God the Father has to say about all this. What happens when Jesus is baptized? The heavens are torn open, and God the Father tells us what he thinks about all this. This identification with sinners that might give us some pause and create some knots in our brains, it overwhelms God the Father with joy so that he rends the heavens, the Holy Spirit comes down on Jesus like a dove, and God the Father confesses, this is my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Imagine that scene. Have you ever been to a a youth basketball game where some kid makes his first basket, and then some guy yells out from the stands, that's my boy? This is that moment for Jesus. He identifies himself with sinners, and God the Father, he's just plain proud of his son. And he says so from heaven. And it's because Jesus does something that seems to be beneath him. Now, in fact, pretty much everything Jesus does in this whole savior of the world thing seems to be beneath him. But that's the work of salvation. That's what it takes to redeem sinners from their curse. That's what Jesus did so that when God the Father looks down on you now who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, he says the same thing about you. You are my beloved child. With you I am well pleased. You who are baptized into Christ understand this. Since you are connected to Christ, what God the Father says about Christ, he says about you. Your sins have been taken up by Christ. They have been crucified with him, and the Father is well pleased. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, 
Guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.